take 43. Mark? Hey everyone, welcome back to the Take 43 Podcast. My name is Drew Williams. And I'm Aaron Colborn. And what happened to the first 42 takes, Aaron? Well, the other night I got really drunk and ordered a copy of Hard Target, which is a movie with Van Damme, uh, directed by John Woo off of Amazon. And I'm just trying to figure out how to like write it off my taxes now. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could take a while. Yeah, I'm not sure if I really have any kind of good explanation for why I bought it. So I don't, I'm not sure if it's Film studies. Film studies. Yeah, that's right. I'm Film like studies. studying directing techniques. Yeah, exactly. You know, like trying to get uh, a Belgian uh karate star to ride on top of a motorcycle like he's surfing that that literally happens oh i was gonna say i have no idea what this man's <laughs> wait have you about. never seen hard target i haven't oh i've seen soft walmart though <laughs> how long have you been planning that joke that's a really good one i like that you're welcome yeah so so last week we talked about uh the oscars and we talked a little bit about parasite i hadn't seen it nor had dave yeah and you, you've seen it now though right i have seen it yeah what'd you think i loved it it was great yeah it's it's good stuff right like it's i mean kind of top to bottom it, it kind of gets everything right the cinematography is amazing the acting amazing the writing's amazing yeah and you realize when you start looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff after you watch it you realize how much money went into that film yeah how much money and just there's a whole lot of of kind of hidden stuff in it like hidden, hidden meetings and compositions of frames and stuff like that a whole lot of stuff and, and and like I, I just watched it for the second time finally, and a whole lot of things that really kind of jump out that I didn't notice the first time around because I kind of didn't know what the movie was about. And right. No spoilers here. We won't say anything about about that. But like, it's a very interesting movie to watch the second time around. No, it's cool. And and I was noticing some of those things as far as you know the levels of homes and 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 you know staircases and and composition and things like that. I did notice a couple of those things, but when it really you know I I watched the video behind the scenes and it really broke it down and it made a lot more sense and and it was great. I, I mean I think it deserved what it won yeah it's pretty cool and I, i'm just super stoked that um it's kind of bringing like uh, south korean cinema to everybody i mean every, a lot of people have known about like, like old boy was a big south korean one i think that came out in like late 90s or something like that but i think this one more than that that was still kind of a niche thing because it was kind of like this weird like violent you know revenge movie and this one's a little more accessible i think to the mainstream so i think it's really cool that south korean cinema is getting it's kind of like moment in the sun kind of like how mexican cinema has recently with like roma and um uh, like alfonso Cuaro and stuff like that sure. um and so i think like uh, i like that south korean uh filmmakers are starting to to really kind of get to shine now and people are kind of knowing who they are like bong joon ho who's the director of parasite i mean he's done like four or five other movies and i haven't even seen all of them i've seen several of them yeah i, d- I didn't realize he did okja oh yeah he did okja and yeah I, and i enjoyed that a lot yeah okja is good okja is sad like it, it makes sad. me sad but i really like it and he did another one yeah so he's already done one english language movie called snowpiercer that has chris evans in it and that's a pretty cool one too. I think that's on Netflix also. Definitely worth checking out. I, I enjoyed reading the subtitles and following the story. A lot of times that to me is very distracting. Right. I have a hard time reading and then kind of glancing up and making sure I see what action is going on. Right, but, right. Uh, you know, with Parasite, I was totally able to you know follow that. Yeah, I think that's actually, I think that's really one of its strengths. And I remember thinking that, and when I was telling people, like right after I, I saw it, when I was telling people they should watch it, I was like, I was like look, it's honestly so interesting and so engrossing and the, the actors do so much um, other than just speaking dialogue, that it's one of those movies that you you start off watching it and like, oh, there's subtitles. And then you get so engrossed in it, you forget their subtitles. Right. And you just watch the movie. Yep. Because, I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, foreign films definitely have a, uh, a, a reputation for being, you know, oh, boring. And they're just kind of sure. going on. Like, that's not this movie. And I think that has to do with um, how much you're involved in the story and how much you understand of the story. For sure. For sure. Um, but with this one, it was a whole different level of storytelling from the, you know, composition, like you were saying, to 
uh, just subliminal meanings, uh, whether it's rain, whether it's the, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the weather, whether it's whether it's the weather, the weather, whether it's the weather, the weather, it's weather, whether it's Carl Weathers <laughs> or either of those. No, yeah. uh, I just think that uh, it held its own, and I and I understand why it deserved and and won what it did. Yeah, it's a cool movie, and I'm excited for more people. It's been really cool. Like I said, it was kind of like the little movie that I thought like just I was gonna like, maybe a few other people, and then now that's got all these awards, I have all sorts of people coming up and because I've been like this big vocal person about it to everybody I know, everybody at work and stuff like that. And so it's cool to have people come to me and be like, hey, I finally watched Parasite, even talking about here's what I like. And people seem to really like it. You know, I haven't gotten a whole lot of like, uh, I don't know, it's pretty overrated, I thought. No, I'm sure that's, that's going to happen, I'm sure. sure but No, I, I had been wanting to see it while it was in theaters, and I still think you can see some of the Oscar yeah. winners in theaters. Yeah, matter of fact, I think that one specifically went back into theaters, and it's actually done really, really well. It's had, Good. Uh, it's had a nice bump after the Oscars, for sure. Well, I know on iTunes, it was only a three ninety nine rental. So, oh, really? Um, they had it. Yeah, it was cheap to rent on iTunes. That's super so cheap. I highly suggest watching Parasite. Yep, I do, too. Awesome. Well, today is – this is episode four – and I want to chat about the commercial production workflow. Obviously, this is uh, sort of subjective because everyone has their own way of doing things. But yeah, our this... way is right. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. No, there's there's all there's many different right ways to do all this stuff. These are a lot of the things that we found have worked best for us. Yeah, and we found out the hard way because through trial and error, this is kind of the uh, you know production workflow that we've put together. So we're going to chat about three stages. We're going to chat about pre-production, production, and then post-production. And I think we should start with pre-production because what that a good is- idea. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> start with post-production. Let's start at the end of post-production. Here's yeah. how you render out your. <laughs> I always go into, I guess, a pre-production meeting, whether it's by phone or Skype, video call. I try to go face to face. So, if they're out of state, then I think it's best to do a video conference call. And then if they're, you know, obviously in your city, then it's best to meet up with them. Um, so uh, there's a handful of questions, and I can kind of get the ball rolling here. This is what I ask in a pre-production meeting. Not necessarily in this order either. So um, you, this is kind of based on feeling out the client and who they are um, as a company and, and personally who you're working with. So uh, six questions I ask, you know, what is their budget? Again, not in, in this order necessarily. What is their budget? What do they, you, want to accomplish with these videos? Who is our target audience? Where will the final assets live? Do you have anything in mind? And as always, this is important, examples of work you like or dislike. You can get a really good idea of what they're thinking just by, you know, them showing you examples. I was going to say, I've never really quite thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense because no doubt they've watched something. They're like, oh, this is really cool. This is what I'd like to have. And it may not occur to them to bring that up to you and be like, hey, I want something like this. And so, you know, even if they show it to you and you're like, well, that's, you know, with your $500 budget, we can't quite do that. Of course. But it'll give you at least an idea of what they're hoping for. And then you can use that to kind of set expectations, which is a good thing. I mean, I, I feel like it, just in general, overarching, setting expectations is the top thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that with contracts and things like that. Okay, um, so I'll just shut up then. No. <laughs> no, but what, <laughs> what you said about the $500 budget, I'd be running already. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, and, and obviously this is for someone and, and this is for listeners who who are maybe clueless on the, the production process and those this workflow process. So some of this might be repetitive. You might learn something you might already know. But this is just kind of – those six questions I think are really important to ask, and you'll get a lot of things accomplished just by starting the meeting off that way. And you can always wait about the budget question because they can, they'll can they start talking about things and, and these big ideas and aspirations that they want to achieve, and then you know at that point you can probably throw out a number. Um, but I always like to figure out what their budget is and then – multiply it by five. 
<laughs> no. Um, so, so those are just a couple of good uh, questions asking. You know, where the where will the final assets live? You know, is this going to be on TV? Is this going to be an ad, or is this going to be just be online? Is this for YouTube ads? I mean, there's there's value in just where it lives. Oh, for sure. And I don't think the client necessarily realizes that. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also, I mean, a whole lot of considerations to make uh, in in that regard for you know if it is going to live online versus on TV versus whatever you know um, a lot of like if you're getting a voiceover artist or you're getting talent like their rates might depend on where it's going to be uh, be shown. Um, as well as music licensing, like that can make a difference. Like, is it going to be online or is it going to be, yeah, a broadcast? So, like, it's all it's all good stuff to get up front, so you don't get nasty surprises at the back end. Exactly, if you know what I mean. The the thing about the examples is huge because uh, what it does it allows you to again realize exactly what they want and what they don't want, and that can eliminate an hour out of the meeting just by them trying to explain what they don't want. Right. From there, it comes down to contracts. You know, there's a lot more, obviously, in the pre-production meeting that you'll solve. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I, I do want to touch on contracts really quick because I feel like that's really important. In my contracts, I make sure that there are around two revisions, and that's it. And I make sure that that's very clear. I actually don't go over anything in the contract besides the price and those two revision rounds. I think that's really smart. I mean, being doing the post-production side of things... Um, Clients will take as many revisions as you'll give them, and they will revise it into the ground. Correct. So I think it's really smart to like. I think it's really smart that you do that. That you limit them so much beforehand. Say like, look, you're going to get these two rounds. That 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 motivates them to get as much right right out of the gate. Right. And then you know, then maybe the revision rounds of revision are like little tweaks, but they're hopefully not going to be these big massive things because if they're not worried about um, about changes they're going to have to make at the end they're going to be much more concerned with getting it right to start with. No, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, we've had, we've both dealt with clients in the past where, oh boy, yes. <laughs> where uh, they want to change something huge and they're like, well, let's change it to a shot of this. Well, that wasn't ever in the approved shot list. Right. I've literally had people, um, I, I did something the other day where well, we, we shot some interviews. Um, we wrote out the the postscripts, which are basically just kind of like the, the the chunked out sound bites that we wanted. Sent it to the client, and they put it through their legal review process. They literally added words in that weren't recorded. That's weird. Yeah, it's super weird. And we we literally had to go back to them and say like, hey, you know, I can kind of cut sections out, but I can't create words and phrases out of nothing. And so I I, I guess what I'm saying is you would be surprised at the kind of things that people actually don't understand. Correct. That you just assume that they do understand. Right. And bef- and that being said, before the contracts, I kind of jumped ahead. There needs to be approved scripts and there needs to be an approved shot list. Yeah. They don't you don't need to go through the shot list like shot for shot with them. They should trust you on that. Um but I can't express how important it is to have a locked in script at least you know, depending on the size of the commercial production, at least two to three weeks prior to shooting, because yeah. you have to have time to make a shot list. It has to get approved. Yeah. And I've had clients changing the script while on set. And that's why I don't hire a voiceover artist until after we're done shooting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. you should definitely do that afterwards. Obviously, depending on what we're doing. If we're right, doing interviews, right. then it's too late. Right. <laughs> But all of that is included in the contract. They know that the script that was locked in two weeks ago is their final script, and that's the contract that they're signing to. Right. Like it's it's good to limit them and say like, look, this is kind of where this is where we're at, and then they they'll approach it that way instead of kind of being like this big open like anything goes sort of wild west feeling. They know you're like, okay, this is what it is. We've gotten to this point, and so they know if they approach you with changes, they know that it's not like it's not some small deal. It's just part of the process. They know that they're kind of like breaking that barrier right. of 
of we're already locked. Right. And sometimes we're writing the scripts and then sometimes the client writes the script. It really, it really just depends on how the client wants to manage that. And a lot of times with like educational videos and things like that, I want them to get the, the, like the nitty gritty details exactly right. It's good. Sometimes you have to squeeze the details out of the client and say like, like kind of nail it down. Like, okay, what is this supposed to say right here? Right. With the last client that I had, they actually wrote uh, all of the scripts and which is what we agreed on. Mm -hmm. Now they did come at me with a couple of shot ideas and and as a director of photography um and just you know a client of theirs and there's they're one of my biggest clients we you want to accept that you don't want to look absolutely you don't want to say you're uh, dumb yeah (laughs) no we're not doing that to an extent though they trust you absolutely so this was their idea that they envisioned in their head as they wrote the script right now take that idea and either completely flip it or apply something better to it absolutely yeah you don't want to just come straight out and be like no we're not doing that it's like oh that's cool Oh, what if we did this to that instead? Like accept it and yeah. then change it. Yeah, there was a shot of there was like it said 360 shot of machine uh, for those last set of commercials I did, mm-hmm. and that's impossible to do unless because because of our lights and the things that we're right. doing. I mean, I could have put it on the Ronin and we could have walked around and done that, but what does that shot do? Yeah, especially when you get to the back of it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand. So yeah. you know, I implemented a 48 inch slider, automated slider with an arc. And then I put, uh, I left room for titles mm-hmm. and it looked great. Yeah. So it wrapped about 180 around it instead of 360. It was way more practical. It made way more sense with the story. Mm-hmm. It made more sense with the next cut. Right. So there was just a lot of things with, you know, with their suggestions, take it, um, take it as a compliment a little bit and then, you know, try to morph it into your own thing. Right. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is a lot of times they don't, they think they know what they want, but they don't actually know mm-hmm. what should be there. Yeah, and, th- and that's what they hire you for. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's why they trust you, right? Right. That's why they're hopefully. Sign- yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it's and it's funny too. Just for example, you kind of know that those aren't the right things because, for example, there was probably thirty to thirty-five seconds of, of voiceover, mm-hmm. and it was one shot that they had listed. Yeah. No. No. Dice. So that's not going to happen. That just doesn't yeah. happen. So, um, so yeah, those are just a couple of things in pre-production that I think are important. Some good questions to ask. You know, kind of get the ball rolling. I'm sure I missed a couple of things. Um, every client is different as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think a big thing, is, especially at this phase, you have to be able to roll with the punches a little bit and yeah. be able to, like, you know, a client throws you a curveball. You just have to be prepared to, to, to wing it. Just remember, bit. just remember the check. Um, if I mean, don't. That's not the reason we do this. But if if you get a curveball thrown at you, um, if it's outside of the contract, you know, maybe talk about compensation. Uh, if it does require more work, but just remember the the check and the gold at the end of the tunnel. Um, that can, just remember all the bling you can buy. Exactly, all the grills <laughs> and things. Well, and it's not a, it's not a terrible thing to put your, the client in their place a little bit every now and again. Not like you know in a jerky sort of way, but I don't think it's a terrible thing to say like no, we're like we're not. Especially once contract's been signed, so like um, no, that's kind of outside of contract. That yeah. we're not going to do that. A lot of people tend to be kind of scared of clients. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's that's very true. And a lot of times, if they're asking for something. Um, instead of saying no, I ask why. Oh. Yeah. So it, they're like, hey, I think we should change this to this. Because, why? <laughs> because um, it, it works better this way and there's changes to the software that we're using with the machine, X, Y, Z. There's all right, these things. Right. And then I say, okay, that really does nothing. 
all I have to do is change a shot. Right. That does nothing for for the budget. That change that doesn't change the spec of the project or the videos that we're doing. Right. Now if they come at me and say, Hey, we need to add a video. Right. And I think probably that's when it changes. Right. And like instead of saying like, no, we can't do that, it's good to say like, okay, we can do that. Here's the effects that it's gonna have. Right. Being, you know, we're that that'll put us over budget, that'll put us over time, that'll put us, you know, outside of the scope of what you're looking for. So it's good to explain the effects. And if if you've explained those properly, including cost and stuff like that, and they still agree to it, then you're like, okay, we'll go there. Right. So at this point, moving into production from pre-production, you have a contract signed. I've been paid 50% up front. That includes all your pre-production meetings. Okay. Right. So I'm taking half down before I start production. Okay. I get that remaining half when all the videos are turned in. Gotcha. Um, so I, I'm, I'm halfway paid. That way I can pay for any sort of, of fees or voiceover artists, talent, cast, uh, crew, anything like that. Um, so at this point, we have our shot list made. Our script is finalized. I'm halfway paid. We know where it's going to live. We know who's going to watch it. We know we know all the questions that that need to be that needed to be asked in the pre-production meeting. So everything that was asked is now there's an answer for, and now we can move on to production. Fun. This is the best part. Production is the fun, most fun part. So I always start uh, production days off as a DP. Sometimes it's a one man band, but I always start my camera prep at least a day before. Especially if it's my gear, a day before is fine. Right. You know your you know your gear pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I know my gear fine. I make sure everything's clean. Make sure everything's working. Everything's charged. Cards are formatted. So basically, what I need to do the morning of is put the camera on a tripod or support. Right. It's done. Right now, now what if it's a uh, 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 some gear that you've never worked with before? How long would you like? Yeah, so if it's like a you know a more complex camera, like an, an Alexa Mini or a Red um, or something like that, that I, I mean, I've used but I don't get my hands on all the time. I like to have at least three days. It's nice. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies with every different camera, and yeah, you know, who knows? Now the problem with that is, is you're paying a day rate. Right. Yeah. So, if you're renting the gear. Yeah. Yeah. So you're paying a day rate, and you're you're paying more money just to have those. So hopefully you can find a good deal, um, wh- whether it's a day or two before. I think I had the Red Raven just a night before our our paper cutter shoot. Yeah. And it yeah. was plenty of time for us to figure out that it sucks in low light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, hmm, let's check out this camera. Oh, this is terrible. In yeah, low light. <laughs> yeah. This isn't good. So get and, more lights. Yeah. And, and building out the camera, and especially if you have a good AC, that's kind of his job anyways. Mm-hmm. So I, I always make, make sure the camera is completely dialed and I take it, I put it in the front seat of my car. I don't even put it in like a carrying case because I built it out. Cause you've already got all it's your, all, your rail system yeah. and all that jazz on there. Yeah, I, put, I put it in the front seat of my car and you I buckle I, it in. I do. I buckle it in on the, in the seatbelt. Can, can you drive belt. in the carpool lane with that in there? I do. I have. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what is that? That's Wally. Yeah, this is my friend, Kevin, his name's, the camera. His name's Jeff. So I always make sure that cards are formatted. Everything's charged. Another little tip. This is pretty self-explanatory, but bring your chargers on your set with you. People don't do that. Bring your chargers on set, wow. just in case. Yeah, it seems like a low bar to clear, but yeah, yeah, no, like it, it can save you. Uh, call sheets, yeah, call, call sheets are super important. Yeah, they are. And uh, why are they important? Well, to make sure that everybody shows up on time at the right place. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, like if you have a makeup artist, you want to, they're going to want to know where to go and when to be there. Any talent you have, and for the client as well. Right. And like, I mean, let's be real. Also, a lot of clients, you know, that have worked kind of in, in smaller arenas, like. They get a call sheet. They're gonna be like, "Oh, well, this is big time." Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's always good to know where the location is. Everyone, um, especially as you get into higher end productions, you realize that everyone has a different call time. 
Yeah. Uh, the hair and makeup get there, you know, when the DP and the director gets there and the talent gets there early. Yeah. And then, then you don't need, you know, sound maybe until an hour after. Right. And you might be using like, uh, you know, two two different actors or something like that. Maybe you don't need the second one until like one o'clock in the afternoon or Exa- something like that. Exactly. And yeah. that's always just for budget reasons. Also, too, I've referenced call sheets and when I forget someone's name. Oh, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. I'm terrible with people's names. Yep. Like, I don't even remember your name. Okay. Mike. I think arriving at least one hour early uh, to set is important as a DP. Um, it helps me dial in the scene, and it's always before the client arrives. Absolutely. And I don't know, if, maybe I'm just like the zen sort of person, but I kind of like to be able to get in the space and like get the the nerves calmed down a little bit, get familiar with where you're shooting, you know, and kind of have some time there like by yourself before everybody. If you like, you show up at the same time as the client and the talent and everybody, and you're like immediately having to jump right in it. Like maybe it's just me, but I like just a little bit of time to ease into it myself. That way when the client moves into the studio or moves into the set, you know, you have an idea of what's going on. You know, you could arrive on uh, to a studio that you've never shot at before. Right. And which you should be location scouting. But if you, you know, sometimes you shoot out of the city and you don't have time to location scout, but you could say, you could see that there's a window that's blasting light in right and you have to get your grip or you have to cover it yourself there's just right. little things that add time but make sure you have time to problem solve if you need to absolutely because i mean cause the honest truth is literally every set ever will have one problem at least that you're gonna have to figure out how to solve absolutely and, and something along with that as far as um saving time is is getting a set cart i recently got a set cart to hauling gear mm. and instead of going up and down an, ele- an elevator like right, it seems a- like we're always at least shooting on like a third floor right right yeah you're <laughs> you never-, never shoot on the ground floor of anything <laughs> right yeah if you're shooting downtown especially yeah. so you know instead of going you know six trips to the car with a grip and and making sure that everything gets in and out then loading that sucker on a cart one or one or two trips and you're done absolutely you save 30 minutes of, of going up and down hopefully not smashing your fingers on any c-stands or anything like that exactly one thing i have learned and it was on our shoot last year uh, that we we shot out at the apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Make sure that things are clear while on set with your client, and that maybe that might include them looking even through the frame, and just making them feel a little bit more involved. Absolutely. Um, even if they, you know, we know that that's not their call, and they trust us. Right. But you know, just letting them look at the frame or or take a look and make sure everything's looks good to them. That includes them a little bit more on the production side, and and they like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Making them feel like they're part of the process as well. Making making them. Not just seem like they have the say, but, you know, give, giving them a save. They, if they look at it and they're like, ooh, you know, I want to be able to see, like, this thing a little bit better or yeah. that thing a little bit better. Like, That's good to know. It, it's, it's good to know right then there. It's going to save you a lot of heartache later on for sure. Especially when they want you to change that shot and you don't have it, right? Right, and you're like, we didn't shoot that. Yeah, so so, <laughs> so for, an, for an example, um, we were shooting a computer screen last year uh, for a software that was coming out uh, for specific clients, and... Um, we had a bookmark bar on the browser. Oh, yeah. The browser necessarily didn't matter. The computer didn't matter because we marked out the brand name. But there was a bookmark bar that was left on there. Right, that had all sorts of other stuff on there, like, I don't know, Hotmail or... Yeah, Gmail. Or Ask Jeeves. Ask... Is that still a thing? Dogpile. Dog... <laughs> Newgrounds. New, Newgrounds, yeah. E-bombs world. E-bombs world. <laughs> all these flash sites. No, um, but so there was a bookmarks bar that was completely full. It had their little logos on top. I even remember asking the client to look through frame and if that was okay. Mm-hmm. And they said it was fine. Turns out not fine. It turns out that it wasn't fine. <laughs> yeah. So you were doing the post production on that shoot. Yeah. So I had to figure out how to just. Uh, luckily, the shots weren't moving. They at were all. static. They yeah. were static. So it, it was actually pretty easy to to mask them out. Basically, just kind of chopping out that part of the frame and moving it. You know, moving what was above that down. If they were moving, we probably would have had to be like, I don't, it. I don't either reshoot it or you know, say like 
well, we can't do anything and post about it. So we'll have to reshoot it or it's going to be there. Sorry. Or we can maybe blur it out. Right. But like that, that I mean, like that's, those aren't good options. No, blurring yeah. would have looked weird. Would have looked yeah. really odd. Um, we got lucky. Obviously I like to add movement into shots, but it was very apparent that the action on the screen was what was most important. Yeah. I'm really glad that we didn't have any movement on those. Yeah. <laughs> so you, how long did that take you to go back and fix? Now, again, this is, this is one of their sets of revisions. So they got, they had one revision or two revisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, honestly, it didn't, it didn't take a super long time to do it. It was more just a little bit annoying than anything. Super annoying. But, but it, it didn't take a ridiculously long amount of time to do because they were pretty simple. I feel like you got compensated a little bit extra for it. I did. Yeah. Thanks buddy. <laughs> you bet. My man. <laughs> uh, no, and they were, they were a good client, but I just do, I do remember asking them about it on set and they, it, did, it wasn't a big deal. And then once we got into the viewing room and th- that obviously was a very big deal. I remember leaving that uh, post-production meeting just being like, Oh my God, this is, this could be bad. After they gave you edits. Yeah, I mean, because we did live edits, right? So I, I oh, viewed yeah, I yeah. viewed them with them, oh, and then okay. we were, and they were like, "Yes, no, this needs to be changed." And then you're like, "Now I have to tell Aaron." I was like, "Now I have to tell Aaron." And he's gonna be mad at me. Give me mad. I think I just called you right after, and you were like, <laughs> and "You're crying." Yeah, no, you weren't crying. <laughs> I was skipping rocks down by the river. <laughs> no, I, I was just worried that um, a it wasn't doable because there wasn't right. much to pull from. Well, and, and like I, th- I feel like in most situations, it probably wouldn't have been able to 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 be done, dude. You but- can't even tell it looks amazing i know right i'm so good <laughs> you are good there was one there was one that you gave back to me that was there was a error because like it the bar ended too early oh i do remember like that. a couple yeah. frames yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you could see the uh, bookmarks pop in yeah yeah that's anyways right. it's hard to explain without without you seeing it but that's just, just uh, trust us it was very weird and cool yeah trust us <laughs> no it was it was an example of of the client looking through frame and approving and them changing something so just make sure that uh everything's intact while on set Another example from that that same commercial that we shot, um, we had a problem on on set. Boy, did we! So if there's a problem, don't panic. Uh, it's best to just recoup with the crew and figure out you know the best solution. This is an example of dropping a rental lens without insurance. Yikes! And I didn't necessarily drop it. It was on this very very nice countertop. You, know, you say what you need to to feel better Thank about you. it. Thank you. You saw it. I didn't drop <laughs> I it. Did, yeah, you just kind of you more. My elbow Knocked tapped it over. It. Yeah, and it was a 24 to 70 G Master Sony lens, and that's about a it's a 24, $2,300 lens, something like that. Twenty six, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not important. Um, what is important is, is to get that it, it broke, and it had a UV filter on it. And the UV filter didn't break, but the lens under it did. And it, I knocked it over with my with my elbow on this countertop, and it just tipped over, kind of like a glass would if you tipped over yeah, a drink. It was like not far. I've seen thing. I've I've seen lenses fall from much greater heights yeah. than that and be fine. I've and dropped this one. Yeah, it's like it just like the wrong spot on the lens. It was the wrong spot, and it was a very very nice countertop, so yeah. it was very hard. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, very rock, very rock hard. <laughs> And um, we broke it. And the problem with that, well, we was, broke it. Yes, we did. Not not me. The okay, problem with I was the, on the crew. I'll I'll take it. The problem with it was is is I knew I never have insurance for these things because I'm very careful with gear, mm. and it saves me like a hundred and you know two hundred dollars per round. Well, this time it cost me about eight fifty to replace. Yikes! So I thought it was going to cost me like a full replacement fee. Mm-hmm. Which would have been like twenty. And so you're seeing the bucks. profits from this shoot like going down, going down the tubes. Yeah. So luckily it was a nice size shoot, and it was a, you know it was a comfortable style shoot. I was able to pay you well, and everything mm-hmm. was good, and we still obviously profited. But yeah, that's eight hundred dollars down the drain. And yeah. at the time, I'm thinking, oh, there's twenty three hundred dollars down the drain, twenty four hundred dollars. Yeah. And and so your initial reactions, you know, your initial emotions can can definitely, uh, you know, be 
pretty out there and you don't want you you don't want the clients to to get that off of you right. right like you want them to feel safe and secure like you got it under control and so like even if like inside you're panicking you want to be on the outside be like oh it's, it's all okay. good it's good it's good i got something control this is this is part of the plan yeah right like, totally like we know that this might happen and we planned for it yeah and and i we hadn't i was gonna say we, and we didn't and i just <laughs> but you want them to think that you do and you and I, they obviously knew it happened because they were standing right there right. and they were like oh no you know and i was like oh it's fine and it's okay i went outside i called i think i had it from borrow lenses or lens rentals at mm-hmm. the time i own that lens now but um <laughs> i bet you do yeah i own a lot of those lenses that i was running at the time <laughs> but um I own that lens now, but I, I just remember uh, talking to lensrentals.com and, you know, explaining the situation as soon as it happened. I probably should have waited to not do that call right. while on set, but we had some time to kill because I sent you to go rent. I a, had to go over and pick up that other, was it a Zeiss lens? So it was a Zeiss 1.4 um, uh, 35 millimeter prime. Right, right. So, so the problem with the whole thing was is not necessarily the fact that we dropped the lens. We were out of lens and we needed it, and we were on a very mm-hmm. tight production schedule. Yeah, we had one day to get this done, or two days. Two days, but this was day two. Oh, that's right, it was day two. Yeah, and yeah. we were halfway through the day, so we were mm-hmm. on a roll. We were doing really well. Yeah. Um, and actually, it ended up being a three day shoot because I had to go back and shoot B roll the products. That's but right. That's right. Anyways, um, you had to go pick up the lens, the rental lens, mm-hmm. and. Even just adjusting with that, so we were at at a two point four lens, and now we're at a one point four. Right, and we're just kind of kind of kind of going as wide as we need to to get the shots we need to, and yeah. then not realizing until later that that made our our focal plane much more thin, shallow. Yeah. yeah, it was much more shallow of a focal plane, and therefore some of the static shots we were shooting with them using the software on the phone, mm-hmm. some of it was out of focus. Yeah, some was out of focus. And it was so something I couldn't like a, tell on my monitor. No, and so we just had to kind of do like uh, in post kind of an emergency sharpen uh, sort of thing, which, you know, like, it looked okay. It looked fine. And honestly, we're the only ones that noticed those things. It wasn't blurry. It was just not as sharp as it could have been. Yeah, yeah, And we were, you know, the phone was being held slightly crooked. So if we were at, you know, like a 3.2, even like a 4, it would have been completely all in focus. But with a 1.4 or whatever it was. Just a little bit of shifting. Just just a little bit. Just lost it. I blame Landon. Yeah, I blame Landon on a lot of things. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We love you, Landon. Shout out to Landon. So, yeah, if there's a problem, don't panic. Just figure out a way to solve it as best as possible without making a big deal. And then yeah. that, you know, that energy, that negative energy will will disperse pretty quick as it, long as you can keep it positive. It will. It will. Like the, the moment that you start to act neg- negative about something, that'll rub off on the client. And yeah. that, that'll transform into them having problems with things you're doing. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're keeping things on the up and up, keeping things pretty cheery and 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 uh, positive, like they'll, they'll float along with it and they'll just assume that everything's good and they can... And trust you. The moment you start to act like there's a problem, start to act like things aren't going well, then they're going to start questioning everything you're doing. Exactly. They're going to question. They're going to question everything you're doing. They're going to question why they even hired you potentially. And right. that kind of moves into my next point, which is always comforting the client and talent. Right. That, With whether, lots of hugs. Lot, yeah, don't be that way. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't hug, hug your clients. <laughs> firm handshakes yeah. and pat on the backs are good. Um, That's right. But high, high fives. High fives are good. Are, yeah. High fives are great. Um, low fives are all right too. If you're going to go low, then just Wind, go low. windmill fives from like top gun during the volleyball that's scene. Fun. those are also good yeah, yeah it's fun that's yeah. fun i like that yeah. you have to be sweaty though when you do that <laughs> and shirtless yeah oh. D- don't be shirtless. again don't be shirtless. Again. <laughs> no hugs don't put a shirt on yeah these are just things that that uh, aaron has run into over time yeah you know it's, it's trial and error 
Trial and Aaron. <laughs> Trial and Aaron. Um, so uh, just making sure you comfort them in all seriousness and while the camera's on and while it's off. Yeah. Uh, in fact, almost developing like a personal relationship with them is, is kind of important. So for instance, this last shoot that I did, uh, we went to lunch a couple times, just me and the, the client did, my contact from the company. And we got to know each other well. We got to know each other, about talk about their, our families and, and things like that. And I think that's really important. It, you, you really Agreed. You really break down a wall by the time you get on set, whether you can bring something up from the past that you know about them, mm-hmm. like an inside joke. Sure. Um, it just makes things a lot easier. Well, and it kind of goes back, I think I mentioned it before, where they're, yes, they're hiring you to do a job, but they're not just hiring uh, for the video. They're hiring a person. They're hiring you. And so the more personable you are, the better you guys get along, the better things are going to go. Exactly. Yeah. And again, just that, I think that personal connection is really big now. Yeah. Now you'll be able to tell very quickly if you're working with a client and they don't want to be on that level. True. Yeah. You have to be able to kind of like look at them and talk to them and know what level of personable you should be. Yeah. And then that's kind of the people that like, oh, they're all business. And yeah. that's, and that's great though. Cause yeah. that means you'll get the stuff done correctly. Right. So there's, there's give and take to both those situations. Absolutely. Uh, next funny thing is feed your cast and crew always. That's like the, uh, I, I think the, the first rule I ever heard about directing was feed your cast and crew. Yep. Like that's it. Like if there's any rules at all, that's the rule. And that's not necessarily your job, uh, right. being a director, but that's, that you're, it's needs to be done. Right. Well, you know, on, on a smaller scale though, you know, when you don't have, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, a big team where you have, uh, you know, your own craft services and stuff like that. Right. Like, you know, people doing short films, they just like, okay, you know, we're going to hire you come work for 10 hours. And then you don't even think to feed them. Like they're going to be mad. They're going to like tell other people not to work with you. Right. You know, feed your cast and crew. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy. And another thing to think about when you're talking about budget and you're talking about, you know, that in the pre-production meeting, not going back to pre-production, but you know, include that. Include that you're going to be one to two, three, four days on set, and mm-hmm. and and think about how many people are going to be on set, and then include that in your budget. Absolutely, because they're because you're doing them a favor by buying them lunch and ordering on your phone or doing whatever you're doing. You have mm-hmm. it delivered, depending on your location. They're going to think that that's a very nice gesture, and realistically, you know, they're paying for it. So this kind of gets into more of the the nitty gritty of of shooting and the production day itself. But I find it best depending on, again, how many locations you have and whatnot is to shoot things in, in chunks and out of order. That's mm-hmm. why you have a very organized shot list and someone that's checking those off for you. Right. But I find it best to shoot all the B roll at once. If you're shooting like for a product, totally. Then I find it easier to shoot all the gimbal stuff at once, normally towards the end. Cause you have to rebuild out the rig. Right. You're having to set all that stuff up. So you don't yeah. want to like, you know, you're not going to like do a gimbal shot and then take it off and do an interview and then put it back on. Then you have to balance it all over right. again. Yeah. yeah. So like whatever's going to save you the most time. Yeah. And you'll know all this just from your shot list and then obviously doing all the tripod stuff. So, for example, um, we shot all of the slider stuff um, for this last product that we did and then we with all the close ups. And then we went in and we did the process of her creating something with this machine. Mm-hmm. And then after that all those shots were done, I put the gimbal on and I got her walking into the living room with the machine. And that's the very first shot. Right. So uh, things can be out of order as long as you're organized enough to to be able to handle those things. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, I know we're talking about commercial production, but like that, that transfers over to, you know, doing, doing films and stuff like that. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're going to kind of group together your shots based on a lot on equipment and location and angle and stuff like that. You know, it's not, you're not going to be shooting it you know, one scene, then the next scene, then the next scene, then the next scene. It just kind of depends on whatever will save you a few minutes here or there. It all all adds up. Yeah, it comes down to saving time Mm -hmm. and and saving yourself a headache if something doesn't work out on balancing the gimbal or or if your AC can't get something right. Right. 
you know, you just got all those other shots done, so it makes it makes it handy. Or if you're rich, then have two cameras. Oh, I am rich, turns out. Okay, why? I am I am not rich. I think we've made 50 cents on the Anchor ads for <laughs> yeah, the podcast. They, thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast and making us that solid 50 cents. Actually, th- speaking of, let's go ahead and give them an ad. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So that was production, and obviously we probably missed a couple of things, but those are some of the, just the the tips and tricks and things that we've experienced. So let's move on to post-production now. Aaron, this is kind of more your realm. I want yeah. you to take over. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of where I've lived for a long time, post-production. I've done a whole lot of it. Um, and, and, and just here's a few things that I found that I think have worked well. Production is a little more of a fluid process, you know, kind of things move around, things change, plans change. But once you get to post-production, like, things are, like, kind of locked in. Like, you have your footage. Like, this is what you have to work with. A lot of post-production is kind of like figuring out workarounds and processes and stuff like that to kind of minimize the headaches that you you have from what you've been given. Because a lot of times there's not a whole lot you can do. You know, you hear a lot like let's let's fix it in post, and like that's true to a certain extent, but it's not something you can necessarily rely on. That phrase probably makes you cringe. It does. And like sometimes, like I'll be listening through footage and I'll hear something in the background. Hear somebody say like, oh, don't worry, Aaron, I'll take care of it in post. And I'm like, you sons of guns. But I'm a genius, so it's yeah. okay and I will fix it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and You'll it, fix it. And it's like jokes on you, player. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But there are a lot of things you can do to increase your chances to be able to get stuff done right. And uh, honestly, I think when it comes to post-production, the name of the game is organization. Um, you know, for me, it all starts with a, a well-structured project folder, which seems silly, but it's really easy to, you know, you especially if you're doing the shoot as well. You know, say you went out and you were part of the production and you're doing the editing and you come back and you're like, oh, I have all this cool stuff that I want to do that I want to take a look at. It's really easy for, for you to like just kind of open up your project are throwing stuff in there and then before you know you're bringing in music and you're not really kind of like you didn't have a plan for how you're going to start your edit or anything like that and before you know you just have this folder just filled up with stuff and you're too far down the road to kind of be able to backtrack and sort it all out you just end up with this kind of mess you can get in the weeds really quickly that way and so i found it's really good to i've created a a a template project that has kind of everything uh you know sourced out into folders where i know where everything goes i've used it a whole bunch um just to make sure it, it basically forces me to stay organized. And the more I force myself to stay organized, the more organized I will stay. And the less I have to think about that organization, I can focus more on creative stuff. Now, that's a, that's a good tip. Um, tell me this. You've been kind of dabbling in uh, production as well, especially at the firm you're at. You've been kind of yeah. you know playing like 16 people mm-hmm. <laughs> um, since people got let go and left. So uh, tell me this. Is it easier for you as as you're in production – to edit what you've shot as an editor in post-production? I mean, yeah, I think absolutely so, um, especially when it comes to stuff like B-roll. You're shooting interviews, yeah, just like the last take tends to be the best, or, you know, it might even be out of my hands. We have, a, you know, a writer that's going to go through all the interviews and, like, decide what sound bites we're going to use. But when it comes to B-roll, instead of having to sort through all, because, you know, when you're shooting, like, you know, you have three takes of this one kind of move you're trying to do, and you're like, that didn't quite work out, so I'm going to switch to do this instead. Um, and instead of having to kind of sort through all of that stuff, if I've shot it, I kind of know which, th- which thing on set that I like the most. 
I'm just going to remember that. Right. Yeah. That's why I ask. Yeah. Because I, I tend, if I'm doing my own post-production for some of the things, I, I know exactly where the shots are. I, right. I know what numbers they are. Or exactly. I'm, yeah. And if you're, you know, like if I wasn't on set at all and the whole thing is, especially if it was like maybe like a travel shoot where it was shot somewhere else, I don't even know what the office looks which like. Which happens a lot for you. It, it does happen a fair amount. And because I was hired specifically to be an editor. So a lot of times I'm not actually on the shoots. And if it's happened somewhere else, I don't know what it looks like. I get it, and it's just kind of like, okay, what is all this stuff? What am I even looking at? But if I was on that shoot, it cuts a lot of time out because I know I go right to what I'm what I remember shooting on set that I liked. Right, and you know, granted, we used to have script supervisors, right. so they could give us circle takes, which then, is which is super 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 nice. Yeah, yeah, and then you would have notes as well mm-hmm. from the shoot. Yeah. So having that templated uh, folder structure is really nice because I like so I've created the folder structure and actually keep just a copy of it. Um, and so when I when I have a new project started up, I copy that template folder structure and then I kind of start putting my stuff into that. And um, you know, it, it, what works for me might not necessarily work for you, but it's good to you know every project you do just kind of look at it and be like, okay, what about this is working? Does this make sense to me? And and it's your folder structure, it's your template. So what works for you, do that. Um, and, and, and that way it, it, it becomes kind of second nature to you because you know where you want to put stuff and you've created it. So that's where the stuff is, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. You have an exports folder, you have a project folder, you have like an assets folder, right? You have your audio, audio folder. folder. Yeah. And like for, for instance, something that works well for me. So, um, you know, you have an audio folder that will have like your voiceover. If you, if you're getting that, you have your music, if you have that, but you also have a footage folder where, for instance, like your interviews will go. And I actually have a subfolder in the footage folder for the dialogue audio. Because for me, it makes more sense to have the dialogue audio that goes with that video in the same place instead of having that in a separate audio folder. Now, that might be different for somebody else, but for me, that works. And this is good for any uh, post-production software, but specifically, you, you use Adobe Creative Suite. Right, yeah. So I, I, I use a, a Premiere uh, Pro for my editing. And what I like to do in Premiere is I kind of um, recreate the folder structure they have in the Finder. I, I work on Macs mostly, but it's I mean, it's the same deal if you're working on a PC. Um, I recreate that folder structure inside of Premiere. So I I actually have a templated project inside of my folder structure that I've already created that has the the footage folder, it has the audio folder, it has the you know pre-renders folder for anything that you've done you know uh, beforehand that needs to be like pre-rendered out before you put it into the edit. Um, you just rename that that project file. Just there. rename the project file for that specific project, sure. but. I've done it enough, and I've kind of looked over it enough, you know, double checked everything that. Uh, I don't think I've changed anything within the last two years now because I, I'm constantly tweaking it. And I think I've gotten to a place where it like really makes sense for me all the time. And every now and again, I'll stop and take a look at it. Like, could this part work better? Will this work better? And I think I've finally gotten to a spot where like, I don't change it anymore. And I know right where everything's going to be. Yeah, I know no. right where to put everything. Yeah, and I, I uh, kind of learned how to use that same folder structure when I was at that firm as well. Yeah. Just because it helps you. Because what I would do is I would start edits and then you would finish them out just because I'd be in production. You know, and that's it, actually a super good point. Yeah, sometimes I use contractors yep. and I'll give them that whole folder structure and I'll kind of say, and I even actually have a little little text file in there too to say, you know, like like make sure that you're doing things, you know, this way. And so once it's handed back off to me or if even if it has to be handed to another contractor, it's pretty clear where everything is. Where everything is kind of operating the same way yeah absolutely you know once you've brought everything in your into your project into your editing project um i think another good you know and i'm not going to go through you know step by step on how do you edit something how do you you know anything like that but but here's you know uh, uh, some some good rules to live by i think 
Uh, one is being non-destructive with your edits. I mean, it's so easy when you, you know, you open up a non-linear editing system, you know, you can take anything, I can put anything in and, and it, it's really easy to just, you know, you kind of lay out all your sound bites and then you just kind of start chopping stuff out. It's kind of good to, to take a moment before you do any large changes to, you know, take your sequence, save it, put it in another folder, and that's always going to be there. And then you can continue to mess with stuff because you never know. I mean, I've had several times where I've had a client come to me with with edits. So I've, you know, I've done a project for them. They come back to me and they're like, okay, we want to, you know, get rid of this. And I'm like, okay, so I just, you know, delete it out of there. And, you know, we want to change the music, get rid of the music, whatever. I put something different in there. And then like, you know, a month later they come back and they're like, oh no, we liked, we, we actually liked how it was before. And I'm like, oh no, I don't, I don't have that anymore. Two revision contract, dude. Two, two revision, revision contract. contract. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. A month later, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. That, that shit is live. But sometimes it's out of my control. Like where no, I work, understand. like I don't even understand. Like, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. And yep. so like maybe it was this music that I did a lot of work, you know, ramping, you know, up the volume, down the volume, whatever, you know, making the beats match up, stuff like that. And I've deleted that. Right. And so um, I, I. I try to at every kind of major point in the edit before I do anything large, you know, save that sequence as something separate, put it in a different folder. I actually have a folder in there for, for kind of previous versions of stuff and kind of put it in there so that, you know, if, if they do come back with something like that, you're like, Oh, I still kind of have that edit hiding out in this little folder over here. It's really nice. No, that's great. It's good advice. So again, organization is kind of the name of the game. And one thing that I really do uh, that, I, that I think is a good idea, you know, when I started out, sometimes I would be editing multiple videos in one timeline. And I think that's a bad idea. You know, I think it's really good to, you know, if you have three videos, you have three separate sequences named what those videos are supposed to be. Like, you just don't want to give yourself any opportunity to get confused. Sure. Even, But that's like if it's the same client, right? You would right. never have, you know, three different client projects in the same project. Folder. Right. So it's it's you're organizing based on the client, right? Right. So say for, so instance, you just figured up a group of videos for OtterBox, right? Right. So you had, how many how many videos did you do? I, th- I want to say, I think it was a, like 11 videos in total. So you had 11 sequences in an mm-hmm. OtterBox yeah. premiere project. Right, because, I mean, you know, say we had like, I think there was, uh, there was like five 30-second videos and five 15-second videos, like, and they're for different products, they're different lengths, they're different, like, versions on kind of similar products, and, you know, j- you really just don't want to give yourself any opportunity to get confused. Well, and it saves you time as well, keeping those uh, same projects in different sequences, because right. say you're doing the same intro-outro, mm-hmm. um, and you're linking it from After Effects or something, right. or, or you're using the same you know, titling that you made in Premiere or whatever it might be, you can just copy and paste those from a different sequence into the second right. thing. So, totally. you're, so you're saving yourself time. Yeah, you're saving time by doing that. Yeah, and just, just you can sit back and look at, you know, I have a folder that's just for the sequences. I can sit back and look at it and say like, okay, these are the 10 things that I'm doing and I've done, you know, five of these. Whereas if you're, if say you have all 10, which seems insane, having all 10 videos inside of one one timeline, even if you like back up and, and, you know, shrink it down so you can see all 10, you're just like, what is even going on here? It's just minimize the amount of, of confusion that you can give yourself. And it, cause it's really easy to confuse yourself in post. I bet. <laughs> yeah, really and easy. as an editor, that's, that's just really good advice in general. Yeah, right. You know, like, uh, it, it, I think what it, what it really comes down to is it's so easy to get overwhelmed in it. Take all your problems and break them down into smaller problems. So for instance, you know, the first thing you should do is you need to focus on your story. You know, you're not going to go in there and like, like I said, you shot all these really cool things, you know, this B-reel you like, and you want to put it in there, you want to color correct it. You know, it's good to have a sequence of events that you do 
And the first thing you should do is focus on that story. If it's interviews, you find the sound bites you're going to use. You get that part worked out first. You're not going to start throwing in B-roll here and there. Like, like you, this is going to distract you from what the real goal is, which is the story. When it comes to the client, it's the story of their product. It's the story of them. It's the story of whatever. You it's the get... concrete foundation of the product, of exactly. the project. Excuse exactly. Me. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to put wings on a plane before you have the fuselage built. I'm not a I'm not a I'm pilot. Not, I mean, I'm guessing if there's anybody out there who built airplanes, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the wings come first. Didn't you I don't know. Build airplanes in the military? I mean, I mean, I worked on them, okay. and I would assume that the wings come last. I think the analogy. I don't is know. I'm not a traveler. I'm not a traveler. <laughs> I like kidding. to ride bikes yeah. more than anything. More of a bike guy. But the analogy is, you know, don't don't put the cart in front of the horse. You know. I think that's a I good don't analogy. <laughs> so my analogies are not really working right now, but the point is <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but the, you know the, the 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 point is like you need that foundation first. Ooh, there's a good analogy. The foundation. You're not going to put the shutters on the house before you have the foundation poured. Yeah, that wouldn't be weird. That would be weird, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing here. You're not going to start B-rolling before you know what the story is. Absolutely. So if it's interviews, you know, the sound bites, if it's the VO, it's kind of having that down. And Well, think of the foundation as like a cheat sheet, right? Because right. as soon as they mention something about the product, you know exactly then where Then you know what you're going to B-roll. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The story will tell you what you're going to uh, kind of decorate it with. It's kind of like doing a puzzle and doing all the outside pieces first. Yeah. And then just working your yeah, way Yeah, yeah. It, it gives you a structure to work within, um, which, I mean, you know, that, and that's what editing is. Editing is structure. And once you have that structure, then you can start looking at the rest of it. You know, like I have my story down. I can B-roll it. Then you do your finishing work. You do your color. You do your audio. You do your motion graphics if you have that kind of thing. And you're but putting it, placeholders in for the graphics at the time, right? Putting placeholders in. It's really about setting that structure and then kind of taking the the next problems you have and solving those one at a time, you know, because I like I'll, I'll do if I have four videos from the same client, I'll get this, get the, uh, you know, the story worked out, get the sound bites worked out once that's done. Then color, do color across all four. Then the audio across all four. Then graphics across all four. You know, instead of kind of just doing one at a time. And again, it's a lot of it has to do with saving time. You know, you want to work as quickly as you can, and and so just kind of doing things one at a time, doing your processes one at a time across all your videos will will save you a lot of time. I think I think that's a great point. And also to you know to that, say you have those four sequences or those four separate videos within that project, mm-hmm. and they were all shot on the same location at the same you know, in the same light, mm-hmm. then your coloring process should be fairly simple. Yeah. You can copy and paste a lot of your coloring. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely Just again, true. saving, saving minutes for yourself. Yep. And so then in terms of, of, of finishing, you know, you're getting ready to render out your, your work. Um, something that I do is I'll set, you know, in Premiere you can, and I think pretty much any uh, editing program, you can do this. You, you set your sequence for a certain size. So, uh, I'll set the size for what I want to master it at. So say we shot something at 4K, uh, it's going to be rendered out at 1080p. I'm going to make my sequence size 1920 by 1080. Right. You know, that way I know, especially if, you know, if we shot stuff at 4K, I can zoom in on things, you can reframe things. And so you want to uh, have it look in your editing program how you want it to look when it leaves there. So you're not going to have a 4K project and zoom in on things and then render it out at 1080p because it just leaves too many kind of unknowns. And I, and I kind of skipped that part in the pre-production process and the production process, but before you go into production, you should already know uh, and chat out with the client as far as resolution and, and what right, they're going to be right. outputting it at. You don't need to ask them you know, what should I shoot this at? It right. really needs, your question is, is you know, where's this going to live and, and what's the export going right. to be? Right. They're like, it's going to be on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's a good 1080p. But right. for example, like if they don't want slow motion, 
because my camera can only do slow motion at 1080p, right. and they don't want any of that, then I'll still shoot at 4K. Right. And because right. it gives you options, right? Right. Oh yeah, shooting at 4K gives you all sorts of options. Because honestly, still at, at the moment, like you can you can do stuff at 4K and it looks great, but there's not like 1080 still does a pretty good job sure. for for most projects. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of finishing stuff out, also, it's good to kind of give clients uh, some options when you render stuff out. And so a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll um, you know give give clients you know a like ProRes 422 uh, files. And that way they're really nice, high quality. They can, you know, maybe they have an internal uh, you know, video team of their own or whatever. They can they can mess with those or they can render them out into smaller things. Then I'll also give them some H.264, which are much more highly compressed, um, but can kind of go directly onto, you know, social platforms and stuff like that. So it's good to give them a, a couple options. And then after that, all you have to do is sit back and let the money roll in. Damn right, dude. <laughs> That's great advice. And, I, and it's fun to hear you talk about the process obviously i've seen it i've worked with it but it's fun to hear you you know your whys and why you do those things it's fun you know like uh post-production um can be a bit frustrating at times i mean you're mostly there by yourself you're usually solving problems that happen on set that maybe the production team didn't want to deal with sure and but it, it can also be extremely rewarding no it is it's cool and there's a lot of the story that has to do with the production process and yeah you could really manipulate the footage and make it look even better and the story seem even better and mm-hmm. with the good post-production and i enjoy post-production still i do it a lot for myself unless i hire you right to do it and that's also because i'm in charge of it but i did not enjoy doing post-production at expert voice yeah you know it, it, it really really depends yeah and i think that just had to do with whether it was Dave or or you're obviously amazing at post production and I'm and I I feel like I have a pretty good head on my shoulders for post production. Nah, man, you you you've uh, in the the couple of years that I've known you, I've seen your post production like quality go way way up. Yeah, and it was just it's hard to hear someone say that that's wrong or that's not the way that should right, be. Like, right, Specifically, Dave because he had a vision for something. Because I just remember at the time it was between you know the four to three to two minute videos and then it started going down to one minute videos yeah we'd shoot for a day and a half and cut it down to one minute i just mm-hmm. feel like that's worthless you know what i mean yeah yeah but um live and learn i think it, i think it, i think it helped me in the long run yeah so uh, i'd like to end this podcast obviously like i do all of them um on a piece of advice and um you've given some great advice i've given some great advice but i just want to wrap it up with um one piece of advice is just to don't underestimate any of these processes so whether you're in pre-production, production, or post-production, they're all equally as important. I used to think that just going into production and winging it um, was good, right. and, and, and and it worked. It, it did work mostly every time, but you're almost always going to get bit in the ass. Like Whether you forget something or something didn't work out or you're seeing something in the frame, right. um, it's just extremely important to chat with the client in pre-production and get all the, the, the things hashed out that need to be hashed totally. out. Produ- yeah. It'll make your production day much easier, and then hopefully the post-production will be just as easy and it'll follow. Yep, agreed. Agreed. And and I'd say, you know, and I, I think I hit on this several times when I was talking, but it's organization, organization, organization when it comes to post-production. You're dealing with so many assets, so many different folders, with so many different things. Keep yourself organized, and I and think for all the processes, though. I think for all, I, and I think that's true. Yeah, for for it across the board, keep yourself organized. You know, pre-production, make sure you, you know you have you know the documentation you need in places that make sense to you. Make sure you've gone through all that stuff. It's it's all about organization, and the less you have to, you know, every every time you do it, uh, you know, you tweak it, you learn a little bit more about what works for you, and that's less time you have to spend. On organization, the more time you can spend being creative. Absolutely, and I think now that you're saying organization, and I'm thinking about pre-production, I didn't mention uh, you know waivers and talent waivers and mm-hmm. location mm-hmm. releases and things, and just physically keeping those things organized, yeah. that you have them at all times. Yep. 
there's probably a handful of other things that we miss once we realize we'll listen to it. And if we missed anything or you guys have any advice, please use the contact us button in the link that's in the description. It's yeah, hit us up for sure. We want to know, you know, your thoughts on this stuff and, you know, you know, feel free to write us and tell us what your processes are, what works for you. Yeah, I'd like to like to hear what those are because you know we've been doing this the same way for a long time and it's always awesome to implement. Um, yeah, there's always always stuff to learn. I mean, somebody might hit me with a tip, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've never done that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. Episode four is in the can. We did it. We did it, man. I can't believe it. I know, and I and I'm pretty stoked. I think the uh, the advice was good, and I hope, I hope so. I hope we're not leading anybody astray. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I, again, hit us up if if we missed anything or if you have any better ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely.